Well, hey, gang. Welcome to the show. Today's guest, uh, Wednesday, April 10th, 2019. Excited to have um, a, a longtime friend of mine, uh, NHRA, former Top Fuel World Champion, uh, current NHRA Nitro Funny Car Superstar and Standout, the one and only Sean Langdon. We're going to get Sean Langdon on the line here, and I think uh, we got we got a lot to touch on today, and we're introducing for the first time ever a little bit of video action, man. Sean, what's cracking? Hey, guys, what's going on? Man, talking to you, dude. I, I tell you, there is right to just get this whole thing started. One of the first things that I wanted to talk about that's been a new experience for me that's obviously not been a new experience for you. Here in 2019, for the first time ever, I've been to like every race that's happened so far, right? So typically, I kind of make my NHRA appearances at, uh, at the races they have pro mod. This year, I was at Pomona, Phoenix, um, Gainesville, Vegas, four in. And I think this is like the best view I've ever had of the, the traveling circus aspect, you know, the, 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 the after hours stuff, the people that kind of click up the, the different groups, the people that you see everywhere. And then the people you see never, you know, and I'm just curious, like, what do you make of this life on the road? I mean, you've been doing this for a hot minute now and I mean, I think so much gets talked about, you know, drag racing and all that stuff and, and what happens at the track. But the hotels, the it, where's everybody staying? Where's anybody going to eat tonight? Man, I don't want to go there because everybody's going to be there. Like, what has this whole thing been like for you, like surviving the circumstances and all the, the happenings away from the racetrack on the NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series Tour? Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, it's a great opportunity to be a part of it. Um, like you said, I mean, I I grew up around it, so it was kind of something for me that I was always uh, I was always a fan of it, and it kind of transitioned into a lifestyle that uh, I don't really know any other way. I mean, I've I've basically started out uh, racing in the super comp categories, and then traveled around and was able to obtain some sponsors and did some bracket racing and uh from various classes stock eliminator to super gas super comp uh alcohol dragster uh and then transpired up into the top fuel ranks in uh, 2009 um but uh yeah i mean it's it's a great lifestyle i mean i definitely love it it's uh it's tough though i mean being able being on the road you do 24 races a year um with the uh on the mellow yellow circuit and then and I'm out, for me, bro. I'm four uh, races in. I'm yeah. out. Like, I'm going, <laughs> I mean, I'm going, oh, my goodness. You, and I think maybe the, the, the being that you're like a bachelor, you're an eligible, very handsome young man looking. No, I'm just joking. But, like, I, I don't know if it's Well, that. maybe it's the blue. Maybe it's the blue. You know, I don't know. But it's, it is crazy. I mean, I just see what you guys, the grind of – checking into the hotels, getting a freaking rental car, the rental car place is closed or the reservation, you know, just all these little nuances that go into that life on the road that I don't, I mean, it's, it is a challenge in and of itself, just surviving that onslaught. Yeah. I mean, when things are going good and you're on the road and and your flights are on time, show up and then there's no issues with the rental car. And there's no issues right. with the race car and there's nothing like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, a wonderful lifestyle that, um, I, I mean, I, I love every minute of it, but yeah, then there's those races that 
your flight's delayed, your bags don't show up, your rental car gets a flat tire, your race car's blowing up, just everything seems to be going wrong. And you just, sometimes you get back home on Monday and go, man, what the hell am I doing? And it, but the goods outweigh the bads for sure. I no mean, question. Man. Like I said, it, it's, it's a lifestyle that, um, I mean, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. I'm, uh, even, even the bad days that you get that one good day a year, it keeps you going for the rest of the year. It's funny, and I'm going to touch on that in a minute because there's a, there's a slew of things, but I got like a list of stuff that I wanted to talk about tonight. But one of those are today. One of the things, and you gave us a fantastic segue, Sean, is what is your – how do you kind of come down from a race weekend? So, you know, this was a rough one for you guys. You blew up a bunch of stuff and kind of had a real kind of a hairy incident there. Um, in E1 with the, the kicking the rods out of that thing and breaking the crank in half. It was brutal. Slide down through there with the rear wheels lock, rear tires locked up. What, what is like Monday, Tuesday look like for you? Or what is your time between races? Do you try to – I mean, I was actually watching a, uh, a Joe Rogan interview with Kevin Hart this morning, and they were talking about how they like try to decompress because you go out on stage, you do your live act, you do your whole show or whatever, and the, the work they put in – to trying to disconnect, do you find yourself taking your, like every other person in the world, Saturday and Sunday? Do you turn Monday and Tuesday into your weekend, or 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 not? Yeah, well, that's typically how it goes. Um, obviously, it's no secret that we've been struggling a little bit lately, so our Mondays are pretty much compiled of testing, um, which you know that that kind of changes as as the season goes on. Um, but yeah, Sunday first round. Uh, car went out there, smoked the tires. I pedaled it, put out five cylinders. So I was running on it, and obviously it hooked back up. The thing had no power. And uh, right when I I pedaled it, it I'm just thinking this isn't going to be good. I was waiting at any second. Fortunately, I have not had a body fly off on me. But that was the moment. That was the oh shit moment where I was waiting for it to happen. Um, so at that point, yeah. I'm, running on three cylinders and I'm sitting about 600 feet and I don't see anybody. I was in lane three. Wilkerson was off making a bonsai run in lane one going 389. He had low ET first round, but you still only have to be second place to advance. So I didn't see anybody. Well, at that point was when all hell broke loose. It broke the crank. It threw the clutch out of it. It locked up the rear end, put some holes in the block, oil on the track. I was sliding and right about that time. I see Jeff deal go around me in lane two. And uh, at that point, I was just trying to get the car stopped. It, uh, it, it wasn't pretty. Um, so obviously, you know, we, we had some things that, that we missed on the weekend. Um, we made some okay runs on, on uh, Friday. Uh, we ended up qualifying eighth, but we missed it on, a, on Saturday and obviously missed it on Sunday. We're trying to smoke the tires, but you get put in a, an awkward position because um, you're running Tim Wilkerson, who's number one qualifier. So you know he's making good runs. Then you're running – uh, in your quad, you also have Robert Height, who is arguably the best car out there with Jimmy Proctoon in it and one of the best levers in the class. So you know that they're going to make a good run. Um, our kind of downfall for the first couple races has been we've been a little bit on the soft side. We've gotten outrun. So we didn't want to go out there and go 395, 396 and be susceptible to losing. You don't want to bank on somebody smoking the tires. Um, it's so a weird we place this deal's bit, arrived, try- right? I mean, you can't go up there and try to make a safe run. I mean, it's because there's the there's a whole conversation that I'm sure we'll have here today about car counts and everything else. But even when the car counts are what they are, there's so many. I mean, the cars that are there are good. 
for the most part, they're good cars. You can't really count anybody out. And there's enough helping going on and everybody trying to make sure that we're putting on a good show that, I mean, like they're in the first round. I mean, you can't, you couldn't go up there and try to lay one up and go 397. It, that wasn't going to work. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're just flat going to get beat if, if you go up there with that mentality. So, um, yeah, so we go out there, smoke tires, trying to go low 390. Uh, Deal, Jeff Deal makes, you know, his his uh, his run that he usually always makes, and, and he's kind of, you know, one of those cars that he's going to make his run. And if you smoke the tires, you're probably going to lose. But if you go out there and, and run your 390 run, um, you're going to win. Um, but, yeah, the situation just kind of played out that way. Fortunately, we don't have to sit on it too long. We're going to Houston this weekend, so – um, but yeah, I mean, kind of getting back to your original question, um, is yeah, you kind of do take, you know, like Tuesday, Wednesday are kind of like your Saturday Sundays where you kind of, there's just so much going on when you're racing with the NHRA, uh, throughout the weekend of, you know, from the time you show up, um, you know, trying to do things on the race car, work on the race car, hang out with your crew guys, talk with your crew chiefs, sponsors that are out there, uh, spending time with the fans, um, you know, you're getting pulled in a hundred different directions that, you know, your downtime is, is actually the time that you get in the car and you sit in the race car and then you're run. And then as soon as you get out of the car, you're getting pulled for an interview or, or something like that. So yeah, the Tuesday, Wednesdays are definitely for me kind of like my relaxed days, just kind of, you know, let, let the, uh, either the highs or the lows of the previous week kind of go and kind of get back ready for the next race. It's crazy to me that you guys are able to, I think it's something that's overlooked, like the athlete or, you know, the real, the athlete kind of perspective or the athletic character that it requires to just swallow up whatever happened on Sunday and just move on to the next one. Because, man, this is brutal. I mean, you're leaving for for, uh, Houston tomorrow, and it's you've got to go in there with a clear head and an open mind and, and just put behind you whatever's happened. How much this early season thing, though, there's something that I keep hearing and I think I always knew this was going on, Sean, but I wasn't maybe – I didn't understand the, the, the depth of it. How much stuff are you guys trying right now? I know that, like I was told this weekend that, you know, the KB Racing Pro Stock team, you know, Greg and Jason, I mean, Bo Butner's out here cleaning house, but I believe that he may be running like a tried-and-true program, and they're, they're testing intake manifolds on Greg and Jason's car for later in the season. And it sounds like that type of stuff goes along goes on a lot. Is that something that you guys dabble in or here early in the season before we're we're running up on the countdown that it's kind of just getting ready for the fall? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a, a lot of, you know, I think it goes both ways. I, I, there's a lot of things that you're trying. Um, there's things that you're trying, not trying to get away from your core tune-up. Um, but there are a lot of things that, you know, you will test with the fuel systems or the uh, blowers or um, clutch, uh, clutch discs. There's a lot of things that you're trying to, as the season progresses, you start finding little niches. And a, a big thing that plays a big part in it is track conditions. Um, you know, if you have a really good track or, you know, a really bad track, hotter track settings, less prep, more prep. It just and it seems like the last, uh, you know, probably year and a half, you know, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. So there's a lot of you're really trying to a lot of times when you're testing, you're really trying to open up your tune up to where it's not a one dimensional tune up where you're going to go out the 88 runs when it's cold out and then smoke the tires every time when it gets hot out. So you kind of have to find a little bit of the happy, happy medium 
but also have to have a two-way tune-up to where if things do change, because a lot of times we show up to the racetrack and, you know, sometimes we really don't know what we're getting. Um, but I think you, you kind of go with the direction that you're going with trying to find little things here and there. So you may throw something on for a qualifying run or two just to kind of see what it does. Um, but then the Mondays are typically where you'll do it, uh, where you'll kind of go off the wall maybe a little bit to try something testing. What do you make of all this track prep stuff? I mean, last year it was a huge conversation, right? I mean, every, you know, you and JR and, and Matt Hagen, there was a bunch of people really outspoken about it. Then there was a whole other group that was kind of silent about it, noticeably silent about it. Uh, the NHRA, this one of the things that I found really interesting is they never really publicly addressed it. There was no talk about you know here's what we're trying to do which i think would have helped not you know it's too far gone at this point but i'm just curious as a racer and headed here into 2019 where there's been all sorts of storylines about the track prep i mean we had it's it's changed i think at least on a couple of different occasions there's been different tires used on the dragger different mix uh, you know glue to methanol uh, different procedures when they're going to spray the track when they're going to drag it what what do you make of all this is there like a is there a place where you'd like to to see it arrive or, or, or where do you stand on the situation, Sean? Well, I, I, there's a lot of different things, uh, uh, my opinion on it. Um, I, I definitely think that um, I, I wish NHRA would have been a little bit more uh, public about it to notify the fans a little bit. Um, I think because there was a lot of questions that the fans didn't know is in regards to how the track was getting prepped, what the changes were for, um, a big, to my knowledge, uh, the big scary thing for NHRA is they, they just don't want to see the guys, uh, the cars go over 330 miles an hour. So it's one thing that they're trying to maintain the speeds, which for safety, 100% agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, the fan inside of me, I, I think last year some tracks we went to um, where the, the track prep was minimal and we were going out there and low ET was a 402. The fan in me thought it was terrible. Uh, the driver in me thought it was great because there is a huge difference driving a funny car that's going four flat to 385. Four flat, I feel like I'm up with the car. 385, I'm so far behind the car, it's ridiculous. I feel like I'm a speed racer just sawing at the wheel, and I'm just 200 feet behind the car. So it really helped me as a driver try to uh, make that transition um, a little bit easier for me. Um, but I think that there's last year, there's a little bit of miscommunication, uh, between the teams and, and NHRA as far as what they were doing. Um, I think that they were trying to find their niche, um, because they were trying to see what the effects were having on the cars. So some tracks, they'd go out there and wouldn't really do much. And everybody was smoking the tires and then, you know, from the fan side, it's like I understand where a lot of the negative comments come from is like, hey, you can't have a perfect track every time. That's what a crew chief gets paid for is, you know, to make uh, changes and, and adapt to the track. But on our side of things is how do you adapt to changes when you don't really know what the changes are? And yes, we do have track people out there, but we've never been exposed to this these type of tracks with this minimal of prep. So it really threw a lot of crew chiefs for a learning curve last year. Um, and then as the season progressed, and then all of a sudden towards the countdown, 
he started seeing the cars start hauling ass again, um, which the tracks were starting to come around and get a little bit better. And I thought the, the racing and the countdown was awesome. Um, you started seeing the percent. It's you, you started seeing the percentage of runs go up. You started seeing races go up. You started seeing whole shot wins, and it started bringing the driver back into play. Which is one of the things that we need. But I'm curious. Do you? I'm just not. And I've been. And I've taken a little heat for it because I. I'm not. I do feel there was a time here, probably in around 2010. Um, 2008, 9, 10, when there's this, all of a sudden there's this hyper focus on track prep. And it wasn't just on the NHRA level. It was, you know, in the ADRL and then the PDRA after that. And everybody's becoming a track prep specialist. And it became like a, it became like a new career path, right? Prior to this, like every drag strip yeah. in the country had like their own track prep guys, right? That was just Joe that that's prepped the track and runs the tractor. And then it became something that, which we are in the age of specialization, I get it. So people, that became a job, and people started to become, you know, track prep consultants, and, and tracks would bring in these high-level guys to prep the racetrack. And I think it was a great notion, but I do think there was a time here where we just got over-center, where the track prep was so good, and there was such an emphasis on this, that guys were, like, welding shit solid. You know what I mean? Like, nobody was making any changes, because the, the track was, it was... Give it all you've got every time, because barring direct sunlight and 300 degrees, it was going to be really good. And it's it's interesting because now here we are in 2019, and and I certainly see both sides of it. But I guess what I'm what I've kind of arrived at is that I don't know that track prep. I don't think this is going to be the best way to slow the cars down, right? I I just think that if there's if we if and this is one of the problems that I think exists out there is that we don't clearly identify, and I say we, I mean, I think maybe the NHRA aren't, they're not clearly identifying what the end goal is, right? So if we, if we could have a, a discussion that was like, okay, here is our objective. Priority number one, objective numero uno is to make sure these cars don't go over 330 miles an hour consistently or, or whatever the target speed is. And and this opens up a whole can of worms with another conversation about the quarter mile and all these things. But if, if the goal is slowing the cars down, don't you think that aren't we realizing that track preps and probably not the place to do it? I, I think that we need to give you guys as good of a racetrack as we can give you guys every Sunday. You know, it needs to be good. There needs to be no, the, the notion that we're going to deliberately under prep or deliberately pull it back. I don't know. I just don't know that that's like a, that seems like a Band-Aid or a crutch, not a real solution. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely is a Band-Aid. Now, you know, it gets into the pretty technical side as far as uh, expanding beyond that because um, there, there's always two ways to look at it is um, that was the easy solution, the cheap solution to slowing the cars down. If you're going to go and, and start, um, you know, start getting into changing – a lot of things, you know, within the motors or, or what have you, you know, then it's just going to start costing everybody money. But, you know, I, it's, it's kind of a touchy subject because I don't think that I've ever really heard what NHRA's end goal is with it. I don't know. I, I, all I do know is when the cars um, have better tracks, you see better racing. I, I don't think it does our sport any good when you have 90% of the guys in qualifying smoking the tires and, and the only thing that's really changed is going to a bad track. And, and that's 
one thing that I've always kind of defended, um, I guess our side on is like, Hey, look, not all the crew chiefs just got dumb overnight and just missed the track and every track specialist that's out there for every team gave false information. Like it's no. just the tracks that bad. And I think that they're, they're kind of working with it. Um, you know, obviously we had a big issue in Phoenix, um, again, NHRA trying something. Uh, and I don't fault them for it. I just think it was in a bad spot, but they wanted to go. Now this is what I had heard, but there was a different tire that they put on the rotating machine. Um, and then it just, uh, the, the, for whatever reason, the track just wasn't good. I mean, no cars were making it down. I think the only car that actually made it down was Matt Hagen, um, in funny car. And then I believe at the point, Brittany force was number one qualifier out of Q1 uh, with like a 440 ET or something like that. And then I know that the last uh, two or three pair performed in NHRA that they weren't going to run on that track. Um, and then to my knowledge, it was relayed to NHRA that we're not going to go back up for Q2 until they go back to properly uh, or putting the, the original tires that they, they used. I guess they went to Goodyear and tried to get a different tire that yeah, was going to last understanding a, as well. Yeah. Last last a little bit longer on the rotator, which I don't I don't blame them for for trying to figure out something like that. But um, I think a more adequate way to test that would have potentially been maybe at the Phoenix test session um, rather than at the uh, at, at a national <laughs> event. Uh, you know, you, yeah. you kind of throw away and, and then it kind of uh, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it started sprinkling a little bit. So I, I think uh, right after they were informed, regardless that they're not going to have a Q2, um, that uh, they, they went ahead and canceled it for the day. And then we came back and they, they re-prepped it, um, you know. And, and, and when I say these things, I don't want anything to be taken away from the safety safari because these guys do an excellent job with the hand that they're given. So the safety safari does a great job as far as, you know. Well, and they're also following orders, that you know they're right, being right. you know what i mean so they, they can't be faulted in my opinion right i mean they're the one they're yeah. just doing what they're told to do so yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're lucky to have those a group of people as dedicated to this stuff as the safety safari and i mean i tell you what i go to a whole lot of drag races and every one of them that i go to that's not an nhra event go i i end up going man i wish they had a safety safari type of program here because the bar is set so high by those cats in the NHRA. There's no doubt about it. And I don't want anybody to think we're speaking. we got to have the conversations about this. And I think that this really, <clears throat> Sean, my kind of takeaway just on that situation is just a, a little bit of a, a we got to have some conversation. I know that it, it's it's rarely the news. It's it's being surprised by it or, or you know, the delivery of it. I think if there was some a little bit of conversation yeah. had there. And oftentimes, and I say this, like, sometimes – the con you don't even have to listen. Like you can have a conversation just out of being polite. They could have a conversation and they don't have to listen to anybody's input. But I think that there's just a polite gesture there by trying to create the, you know, at least the appearance of some open-ended discussion. Listen to what people have to say. Maybe you take some cues from them. Maybe you don't. You know, maybe they hear what all the racers have to say. Like, nah, classic example of letting the inmates run the asylum. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. And, and maybe that's the case. But I do feel like, I don't know about you, four races into 2019, despite, you know, obviously the crowd in, in uh, Gainesville was overwhelming and whatnot. And it felt like Vegas had a good oh, crowd. Yeah. I don't, you know, Vegas had a, you know, the place was full of people. Um, despite all these things, there is just a weird air 
right now. And I don't know if you're if you feel that, you know, or if that's maybe just an outside kind of industry media type thing that I'm feeling, but it does just feel like there's this odd air about the events. And I don't know if it's just that there's just some things bubbling to the surface. There's a lot of change. I don't know if it's a perfect storm of management changes, personnel changes, uh, procedure changes. I, I'm not sure what it is, but am, am I crazy or do you kind of feel this this awkwardness? Yeah, I think uh, there there have been a lot of changes, um, which is probably not all bad. Upper uh, upper management and NHRA, and no, absolutely not. Glenn Cromwell, um, you know, kind of leading a lot of the reins, and and I've known Glenn for years, and I'm, he's he's a, a great guy. He's worked from the ground up at NHRA. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely do agree with with how you said. There's uh, there's just kind of a, a weird state right now with, with how things. Um, it's it's in a I I think it's a pretty fragile state where it's at right now because we're seeing you know attendance fluctuate up and down. Um, but I would I would definitely tend to say that it's still up. You see. Um, you know, the TV, they're trying to find their niche with that. They've had some changes within the TV. Um, but, man, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think that there's so many things going on, and I think that they're starting to come into a, a thing where a lot of the racers are getting a little bit more vocal. They're starting to hear some things about, um, you know, as Matt Smith was talking last week about knee-jerk reactions within the pro-stock motorcycle class. Um, you see some things with, uh, with pro mod. I mean, you look at those two categories and I, and I don't envy anybody that's running good or any, anybody that, uh, envy anybody that's in the, the shop 24 hours a day working their asses off. Because if you go out there and outrun somebody by 500, you're immediately going to get weight. So I think it's in those classes, it, it, you're in an oper- you're, you're in a state right now where you need to find those extra couple hundreds but you need to sit on it for a yeah, while. Yeah, you can't use it. it I'm glad you, you brought you, that up. I mean, because I wasn't, I hadn't got to it yet, but I'm glad because that whole situation with Matt Smith and Steve Johnson, whatever, and I, I got to say a couple of things. There was a lot of, you know, people were getting turned on Facebook and there was a lot of opinions flying around and whatnot, but I looked Matt square in the face and, and Angie and, and several other, you know, folks in the, in the pro stock bike ranks. And I said, man, that's the mo- This is the most I've talked about pro stock motorcycle. This is the most I've talked about this class, its riders, everybody involved in maybe ever, you know. And I just I think a little bit of that controversy and whatnot is bad. Albeit I don't know that anybody, you know, the NHRA certainly didn't, you know, it wasn't as thought out of. Oh, we're gonna get some stuff stirred up here. We're gonna get everybody mad. But I'm really glad it worked out that way. And it was kind of cool no matter where you stand on the argument and, and Sean, you and I were talking about this before we went on the air that, I mean, this is standard procedure in the NFL, NBA, you know, MLB, every other sport. If you're not happy with something that happens, you take it to social media, right? I mean, it, I mean, it's literally, it happens immediately. I mean, you literally, if you have a problem, you take it to the masses and maybe that's not a great thing. It might not be, but it's not unusual. And I, I think it's probably a good thing. I think the NHRA, we have to be like proud enough of our position and confident enough in where we stand and the decisions we make that we accept whatever little criticism exists out there. You know what I mean? Because I think that that is representative of a big league, 
right? I mean, you're going to have detractors. You're going to have people. We can't, the notion that everybody's just going to fall in line and speak the, you know, toe the company line, it's unrealistic. And I, I did think that the, the Matt and Angie Smith, uh, Steve Johnson deal, that whole scenario, I was curious, like, that whole, there is a real thing that, that exists in our sport that is fairly unique. And I know that this gets taken wrong, but there are a lot of hobby racers out here, right? I mean, and it's not to say they're not doing it at a professional level. They are. I think Matt's words were really kind of taken out of context. Like you, you try to, yeah, not necessarily out of context, but it was people heard that and decided to make it an insult. I don't know that he meant, I know he didn't mean it as an insult, it's just a fact. I tell this story all the time, and you're a student of the game here. Uh, back in the heyday of IHRA Pro Modified, there's this very famous, there was a, you know, Scotty Cannon with his supercharged uh, Roots-style blown Hemi that he was running over top of guys, right? The Nitrous guys didn't have a prayer. And Carl Moyer, very prominent racer from the Midwest um, that ran IHRA Pro Mod, had a nitrous, a nitrous combination. And he would call the, the IHRA rule department, Mike Baker, and just beat the drum of, you got to change the rules, you got to change the rules constantly. And the, the story goes that one day Moyer's phone, Carl Moyer's phone rings at his car dealership in Urbandale, Iowa, right? Ankeny, Iowa, this massive sprawling car dealership. And Scotty Cannon calls up Moyer. Moyer answers the phone. Hello? It's like, Moyer, what are you doing? And, and uh, Carl tells him, well, Scotty, I'm at my car dealership selling cars. Well, you know, what, what do you think I'm doing? He's like, exactly. And that's why you will <laughs> never, ever outrun me, Moyer, because guess where I'm at right now? I'm at Darlington. Testing. On my race car. <laughs> I'm testing on a Tuesday afternoon when you're selling race cars. And good for you. That's how you afford to do this. But it does bring to light this whole conversation that it's really hard. I, for me, like there's even been times when like Ricky Smith would get penalized, would get hit with 50 pounds. And in my gut, I kind of felt that he, that was probably fair. But at the same time, he earned it. I mean, he went out and earned that extra bit of performance. And as soon as he gets it, he gets kicked in the balls, you know, and with awarded a lead trophy. And it's, it is hard to see. There's been a part of me being a promoter and a bit of a rule maker in, in different parts of my life. There have been times when I've felt passionate that somebody needs to get dinged with some weight or slow down a little bit or whatever. But when they go out and they earn that performance by testing and trying stuff and working day and night while everybody else is out running their businesses or whatever, it is a little hard to swallow, right? Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely. And I mean, I think you see that in, in a lot of different categories, but um, yeah, I mean, as far as like the, the car counts, I mean, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of different things with the, with the car counts in, in all the different categories. I mean, I, I think that right now drag racing Drag racing is at an all-time high. I, I don't I don't see how how it's uh, diminished by any means. I think that certain uh, classes or certain organizations maybe, but I just don't think that it's properly ran. I mean, you look at hundred costs showing up to these bracket races that are racing for the right amount of money. They're racing for. I mean, there's a couple races this year that they're paying out five hundred thousand dollars to win a bracket race. You look at like what Duck does with his races. I mean, they're paying out six figures to to win their races. I mean, Pro Mod in, in Gainesville, they had twenty nine cars, I believe, that showed yeah. up out there. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Um, you know, one thing that I, I've kind of maybe been a little bit outspoken about is I do know that there is a change to the uh, 
payout to try to increase the car counts for the, the fuel classes. But um, I know that they went to 19 and 20 qualifier and they're paying $6,500 to, to get 19 or 20 qualifier. But you look at, I mean, we haven't seen, hell, we haven't seen over 17 cars. I think top fuel might've had 18 at Gainesville, but you haven't seen 19 or 20 qualifier at any of the races. And they took that money away from pro stock. Now, that wasn't just money that was added. That was money taken away from the pro stock category to increase the car accounts and top fuel up in funny car. And I get it. Those That's kind of the class that a lot of the fans go to see. So you want to increase the car counts, but how are you going to increase car counts at $6,500 to entice somebody to show up? Dude, it's, they're going to spend more on diesel to get there. You know what I mean? It's insane. I mean, and, yeah, so I, I added it up. The car count from, I mean, and this this is where it kind of gets you know little toe of the line. But you look at like the the first four races in Top Fuel and Funny Car off of the car counts what they should have paid for nineteen and twenty, or some of the races like Top Fuel in Pomona only had fourteen cars, Vegas they only had fifteen cars. Now that's money kept back. So you're looking at you're looking at for the first four races between. The, the, the payouts that have not got paid, NHRA has put back in their pocket two, $216,000. That didn't get not paid. Out. paid. That and didn't like, get there paid should out. be a slush fund or something that all that money goes into and, the, and we run for it at Indy or something. Like, there is no shootout because there's no budget for shootout and we don't have sponsors. Yeah. Man. But there's $216,000 sitting there. That didn't get paid out to because we haven't had the cars to, show to do it. Ob- and obviously, people are going to show up regardless. You're, I mean, even you're going to have to make an amount of ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to to really start bringing them out of the woodworks to where it's a profit. But either way you look at it, that's kind of you know, I guess my point going in is you you're you're hitting up the hobby racer at that point. They're going out there because they could go out there and make a couple runs. They don't want to go make four qualifying runs. They're just going to go out there and make. No, we saw that this weekend, dude. I, I like, I uh, was wearing my headset um, that, that my dope, my dope headset thing that like pulls all the frequencies in or whatever. It's slick shit. But, and they came over the race control, right? And they said, uh, okay, we've only got 12 cars for Q4 in top fuel. And I, cause, cause you know, three, three or four cars, were going to sit it out. And I just thought to myself, yeah. like, we're going to see three pairs, quads, whatever. I hate using that word, but we're going to see three quads. And I just thought to myself, like, man, this seems problematic. I mean, this is, this is like a, a fairly significant issue that we got to get ahead of somehow, some way. And obviously this is a, this isn't anything that's going to get fixed overnight, but I do think that even creating some illusion of a profit motive for a race team, like just where there's an there, I'm telling you from personal experience, paying big money helps. I mean, going into Denver, when we put on our World Series of ProMod event, uh, August 9th and 10th, 2019, ladies and gentlemen, get your tickets now. But 100,000 win, the biggest, richest pro mod drag race in the history of the known universe. I can't tell you, Sean, how much of a difference it made working with the local media in Denver, whether it was ESPN or 
K-Rock or whatever these local stations, when you tell them that you're racing for 100000 bucks, it just moves the needle a little bit. I can't really stress that enough, how yeah. much it helps, because it just sounds important, you know? And it's really, even a hundred grand is not enough. It's not enough. But it does move the needle a little bit. I mean, I think the NHRA is in a little bit of a pickle right now where you can't even hardly promote your purse money. You don't want well, to talk it, about right, it. Exactly. Nobody and, wants and, to talk about the and purse we were, money. We were told in, in Phoenix why there was a little bit of lack of media at the race was because there was a snowstorm in Flagstaff. There was a there was snow two hour or hour and a half away from the racetrack, and that's why media didn't come to the racetrack. If that doesn't tell you there's a problem, I don't know what will. I mean, prime example for, for the Gainesville race. They called me up to go do Jacksonville Media, a media tour, uh, which, which I declined because sometimes the, the media – the media is a little bit short out there. So I, I respectfully declined the, the option to do that. And so they asked J.R. Todd to do it, which he, as the reigning champion, he's going to go do it. He's going to try to promote his brand, promote his team, promote his sponsors right. and all that. He called me the Wednesday before the – no, yeah, maybe Wednesday or Thursday before the event, and he goes – did you deny doing this deal? And I said, yeah, because there's no media there. He said, they just called me and canceled it because there's no media. And I said, dude, I told you. Like, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's a problem. It you is, know? man. It, I mean, it's, the, it, dude, there's but, so but many layers go, you, to it. Yeah, it, Right. And that's, and that's the thing is I think you, you got you to start from the bottom and work your way up. I mean, you look at, like, the tax returns from 2017 and when these guys cut out from what I was told – couple million dollars in advertising budget that's a problem i mean you're, oh yeah you're, you can't you're, cut there you can't i mean there there are plenty your product's gonna opinion. gonna suffer oh there's no doubt man and, and the thing that i think <clears throat> getting media getting people out there that's a process in itself man i mean there's that's you gotta and, and i know they do try but you got to go out and you got to go meet people. You got to go buy pizzas. You got to go to offer people the opportunity to, to to come have some experience. Get a two seat dragster that goes to every race, and you know the media that comes in on Thursday all get to ride in that thing or something. Like pay them a hundred bucks to come. You know what I mean? Like you should create a budget what? to to bring these people out to entice them to come out. You got to have someone that's selling it on that side. You know. Oh, uh, yeah, and absolutely. I mean, if, you know, for as long as I've been out at NHRA, I have never, ever once heard anybody ever say that they came to a race and they did not like it. So my, my feeling is, is why not create your, your press conference at the racetrack? What better way? I mean, you bring the media to the track. You, you do the, the media tour at the track. You, you bring all these, you know, uh, uh, cameras and news stations and, and, and newspapers, and you bring that to the track. You let them sit in the race cars. You let them experience it. Heck, fire them up. Fire the couple cars up for these guys. I mean, give them the experience that they're not going to get, that you're, you're just going to end up going to a restaurant, and you, you, you go with five other drivers, and you each say your three-minute spiel – of what's going on and you know you you uh you, i think you you create a presence where 
you don't give them any other option. Your option, right. you come to the racetrack and you're going to experience this and you're going to love it and you're going to want to come back every year. I'm telling you, man, I had this dream the other night that this is awkward, but that I'm dreaming about this stuff. But I did have this dream. So I was at um, Lights Out in February down at Valdosta and Fuel Tech, this like leading electronic fuel injection company in our industry, had a big, a, a really killer trailer. They bought this new truck and trailer and it's got like the slide out windows and uh, or the flip up whatever with the TV screens kind of set in the trailer sides and it's all vinyl wrapped and it's really slick like it's very well done and they have in the back of this damn thing they had on a on a like an engine dolly type of deal they rolled this thing out an engine stand and they had like a what was that engine was it like a twin turbo it was some sort of twin turbo small block or something right and they had it set up with their efi unit where they would fire this thing up Right. And it would idle right there yeah. on the engine dyno. Right. Or on the engine stand. And then they'd mat this thing, put it on the two step and it's over there in the pits. And it was I mean, not to I mean, it was borderline obnoxious. There was a couple times I'm like, all right, <laughs> let's, let's, I get it. Everybody here knows it's loud. But I mean, it'd be pop, 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 pop over there. And I'm going, OK. And so I had this dream that, like, couldn't we build like a contraption that is like the front, like the driver's compartment? halved off from the front of the driver's compartment of a top fuel car to the to the to like the the rear end right with big tires on it and a wing something that we could roll in a small trailer that could be pulled behind a dually that we could pull out and and if if del warsham can have a margarita mixer that runs on nitro could we not have like and you just like say okay we got two hundred sixteen thousand dollars that we haven't paid out right in top in prize money we're going to spend that building this promotional device that on the two, the week leading up to our race, right, we're going to wrap this mother in mellow yellow colors, and we're going to roll it up to every radio station in Jacksonville, right? We're going to get a couple. I guarantee you you could hire a couple of mechanics and crew guys that could get that thing, you know what I mean, fired up. It's like build a cackle car, but a modern-day cackle car that we can roll up, yeah. and you freaking spin this thing over hang the the fumes out of it let it let it sit there and idle or whatever and pop and bang and do what it does and then cut the fuel off and let it slow down and die i mean if you did that like at five stops you know did it at a gas station or whatever that sells mellow yellow i guarantee you that would be a ticket sales tool like it would spur oh yeah this if we and i think sometimes it's like and this happens in church all the time right so and i I'm, this is a big big departure but the 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 message is the same i have some friends that work at this church in a big city they have started having services at bars because they go to where the people are do you know what i'm saying right. they know that they probably aren't going to get those people to come to church right like right, right. murder tundra you know i'm a minister so I, oh I, you're I, a minister I can do church. yeah jt is not going to church <laughs> but you could get jesus in front of murder tundra if you went to the bar so that's what they do. They go to the bar. And I'm just saying that, like, we have to take our ministry away from the church. I feel like we preach to the choir. We, we, we hold this incredible service that give a powerful sermon, but we only do it at our church. We don't get outside of it. You know what I mean? And it's like if we would take this thing and maybe show up at smaller tracks and do it or there's – I think we need some sort of, like, ground-level street team type of 
type of mentality that we're going to go out and we're going to drum up some interest, man. And, and the reason I think that is that I see it working. Like I went to, um, San Diego, California a few years ago, um, early in my career, I would go scout out like non drag racing events. I would just, I would go to PBR events, monster truck events, BMX events, um, any event I could just to try to learn what they're doing different than what drag racing was doing. And, and, uh, and it was fun to like travel. So I would go, I went to San Diego, California for the Red Bull air race. Right. And I got into town. I think the race was like Friday, Saturday, if I remember correctly, maybe Saturday, Sunday, doesn't matter. But all week, Red Bull's got people running around in little mini Red Bull branded Mini Coopers with backpacks, jumping out with backpacks, handing out energy drinks, handing out tickets, handing out coupons, handing out shirts. Like, and I hate to say oh, it, yeah. but in this, that, that's what it takes, man. And guess what? The place was slam packed to watch this air race show that I would say is nowhere near. I mean, it was cool in its own regard, but I mean, it had all the same hiccups that a drag race has. You know what I mean? They would have trouble where they'd have to shut down the show because of airspace issues, right? And that, that that was their oil down, you know? And they would have somebody's plane malfunction, and he would have to circle out of the airspace before... I mean, all this downtime and stuff, but the place was packed full of people, and everybody was having the time of their life. And I'm going, there's... You can't tell me that we drag racing at a, at a pro level can't be mainstream i just truly believe we have a fantastic on-track product we're just missing some of the things that we're talking about this this little extra mile to promote it and introduce it to new people you know what i mean like we got to get some new folks yeah no i mean you you look at uh you know a a couple of the drivers you could probably argue maybe you know obviously john force that's that's probably about as mainstream as is we're going to get within the organization, but you got to understand he's getting older. He doesn't have much time left. You know, there's as far as driving. Um, yeah, you got to You got to get that new, the new edge, the new air. And you got to, you got to, I mean, you got to run into these markets and you got to throw down people's throats and just, you got to let it be known that they're there. You don't just kind of sneak into town and then sneak back out of town. I mean, you should be, Every billboard, every gas station should have some type of driver on it. I mean, you know, and I, and of course it's always easy to talk and spend other people's money and all that. But I, I think that there's, you look at a lot of these, these companies within the racing industry, they want to spend money. It's just a matter of if it's worth it or not. I mean, a prime example is Chris Forsyth and I, we put on uh, two bracket races a year, you know, next one coming up West coast classic. You want to know how we got our sponsor for that race? He came to us. He asked us to sponsor the race. Shane Thompson at Silver State, you know, they they came to us and they said, what's it going to take? How much is it going to cost me? I want to sponsor it. We have companies calling us up, practically begging us, how do we become a part of your organization? How do we give back to the racers? How do we give back? What what are ways we can do, uh, you know, to, to be a part of it? We ended up going with Bank Shift. We go live streaming last year. Didn't have one issue. I mean, he's a one-man band that comes in and, and streams the whole race. And we had, I mean, numerous, numerous people watching and, and uh, you know, getting a hold of us that we got to do that at every race. But, I mean, there's there's ways it can be done. And, I mean, Chris and my deal, it's it's just us. I mean, we're 
I mean, that's I, not I agree, our profession. man. I mean, that's like, I mean, it's the same with the World Series of Pro Mod, man. We raised a tremendous amount of money last year for this race, and we have to because, you know, and that's one of the things that I, I kind of pride myself in a little bit is that I'm glad, like, we, we have no choice for anything that we do here. We have to be successful at it because it's not like we can just invest indefinitely. You know what I mean? We're not in a position right. to invest. So when we swing the bat, we got to hit a ball. I'm not saying every one of them is going to be a home run, but we got to make contact. We gotta make contact. So it can be done, man. And we we're like, this is some dudes putting on the biggest pro mod race in the planet after hours and on the weekends. You know what I mean? Because we got a magazine to run, we got all sorts of stuff going on around here. I agree, man. And we've been so lucky because people, in this kind of a fantastic segue, because so many of the people in the industry, they see something positive, they see something they believe in, and they they scramble to get on board and show support. And I think that that's one of the problems that exist you know, on the NHRA national event side that, A, there's two things that happen that I think are problematic. A, you just keep going back to the well, right? It's the same companies we call. It's the same people. But that situation exists because we don't do a good enough job for these people to keep them coming back happily. I look at the list of people that have, I mean, I know that there's a long list of people that have supported the sport for a long time, but I would say there's an equally long list of people that have came in for two or three years, made a big splash and then vanished. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look down the, 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 if you look down the list on like the, the schedule of events or whatever, how many of these things don't have national event title right sponsors, right. Or how many events are now being sponsored, like by the same company over and over and over. And it's like the situation that went on. I mean, I guess we're not going to get out of talking about this, are we? Yeah. But, you know, the, 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 the Lisa at Denso deal this past weekend became this big thing on the, on the Internet that here's the marketing manager for your title rights sponsor this weekend getting thrown off the starting line, right, because she doesn't have the right credential. And I understand that they've got to maintain order up there. But I'm telling you, dude, the first order of business for me, it's like a corporate security thing. You pass Lisa's Facebook profile picture around. You pass it around to everybody on the property that works there. Don't bother this woman for anything. No. Do not bother yes. her. Whatever she wants to do, you let her do it. If she walks in front of something, whatever, pull her out of the way. But you let her do whatever she wants to do. Right? Uh, I mean, there's, there's probably two or three things that you absolutely do not do. That's one. You don't kick the title right sponsor off the starting line. If she <laughs> wants to go stand between the cars – you make sure she stands in between the two damn cars. I would let her ride floor. on one. I, <laughs> I would. Mean, <laughs> if she told me, like, you know what? I think I could get on the wing of that car. Like, get on, <laughs> hop on. Figure it out. Yes, we'll figure it out for you. And, I mean, I understand that there, there's been a huge change of security for the NHRA up on the starting line. But I feel like there's a little bit of fluff that goes on in it because – you, you, they say it's it's insurance and safety and, and all these different things, but some of the people that they still let on the starting line is people that really probably shouldn't be on the starting line. I mean, you got people wearing sponsor me T-shirts, and you got people coming up to your team owners asking your team owner to sponsor them, and, and or your sponsor to sponsor them, and and it's like, how are these people getting on the starting line? But then the people that sponsor the actual race and have an affiliation with numerous cars. How are they getting kicked off? And even, you know, my sponsor had an issue. Uh, Steve Bryson had an issue at Pomona. I they asked it, him man. to get off the and starting line. it was line. a really ugly scene. I felt so – And it's – I take all that stuff so personally, dude, because I just know that – I know how hard it is to get anybody to spend any money out here. And it's like 
you know, at that level, right? I mean, the, the millions of dollars level. And to get someone to spend that kind of money, and then you just want them, it's almost like, I think that there should be like a liaison that either handles all team sponsors that knows who's going to be there every weekend, knows who's there, and goes to work making sure they have everything what they need. And then I think in the case of Lisa Denzo, she should have had a she should have had a liaison there all weekend just catering exclusive to her. Whatever she needed, water, soda, coffee, beer, um, you know, a, yes. an umbrella, whatever she needed, she should have. And I think she should have had an umbrella guy, for sure. Yeah, an umbrella guy for sure, right? I don't think that's a lot to ask and it's it's weird because it's these are the base low like their customer service kind of components that and I guess in my heart, I'm going, man, is that damage that's permanently done? Probably. I mean, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, how do you make, how do you write that wrong? In that moment, it's, you're, I mean, it's a humiliate. As someone who's been thrown off the starting line of probably every drag strip in America, <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I have been thrown off the starting line of every track. Whenever I first started the magazine, I was 22 years old and I was kind of like a chunky young kid. I got, it was like a, it was like that's what I went to the racetrack to do, to get thrown off the starting line. <laughs> I went there to get thrown out. And as someone who's done it a bazillion times, it's humiliating. You know what I mean? It's really oh, yeah. humiliating. And to have – because everybody sees it. It's not like it's a, it happens kind of in a vacuum. I mean everybody sees you get the talking to, can I see your credential? And, and those people are just doing their jobs. So I'm not mad at any of those folks. You know? But it's yeah. – golly, this stuff drives me insane. You know? Oh, so. I mean, I, I've, I've flat been kicked off. I mean, I know exa- all about it. I mean, I, <laughs> this was when I was with the Schumacher team and I went up on the starting line to go watch Antron run. I'd already made a run. There was an oil down. I walked back up to go watch Antron run and the security guy kicked me off the start line. I'm like, really? I'm what are you doing I'm, up here in that I drive suit? a car. Yeah. I, what are you I doing up here in that car. fire suits, I'm, Sean? Get, I mean, get. right. But but the fact of that they make a scene out of it, and then yeah. you kind of look like a jackass, and then you're walking back with your tail between your legs. You got security following you, half grabbing <laughs> your arm like you're a two year old, telling you to oh, get yeah. off the starting line. But I mean, to even that touch on me that, shit, we I'm, I'm out on the whole touch me thing. Yeah, that's happened a couple yeah. of times, and I'm going, all right, don't touch me. Like, yes. where I come from, that just doesn't end well. <laughs> so Lisa yes. just commented. She said, "For the record, I don't need all that." Except for maybe an umbrella boy, an umbrella boy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. she's in the comments. Yeah, oh. Exactly. Well, and I and I don't want to. I hope that we're not pouring fuel on a fire. I'm just. I felt really bad about it because I'm going. Well, it happens all the time. Well, and it's just. God, I'm so thankful for people like her, and I know you don't know her that well, Sean. But like the the week, what they invested in drag racing, they rented out like a freaking private helicopter factory thing, on Friday night. Had a DJ, open bar, all these like. I don't know, so like all these fancy-ass hors d'oeuvres and appetizers and stuff, waiter, butlers walking around, and they, the, the CEO or the president of Denzo flies in from Japan. They got Marilyn Monroe singing happy birthday to him, all this stuff. <laughs> and I mean, but you just think, you know how much that stuff costs. And you so go, I'm throwing all this money at in the general vicinity of professional drag racing, I mean, all she really should have received at the racetrack was like a bad, like a medal of honor. Like, thank you well, for investing in our sport. Whatever you would like to do, I'd have made her the honorary starter. Let her stand up there, flip the switch a couple times, whatever. Because, and I'm telling you that sometimes 
that's all it takes to get that same check written and ag- written again. Because I've learned this in my business, right? A lot of times, I'll have customers call me that that say, you know, man, I read that story that you wrote about us. God, I love you guys. You know, you do such a good job for us or whatever. No talk of ROI. No talk of how many spark plugs they sold. No, no talk of call volume, right? No, all these real marketing dollars and cents thing go out the window when you make someone feel really good about spending their money, right? Because now I think you've got the, the Denso, they're going to break this down. They're going to go, okay, how many spark plugs did we sell versus how many we gave away? How many impressions did we get? How many times was our logo on TV? They're going to turn this into a marketing math problem, and if it's not where they want it, it may not happen again. But had we just treated her like royalty and made sure she had fun, right, and made sure it was a wonderful experience, that math problem never even gets drawn up. Do you know what I'm saying? No. They, they, they never oh, even – oh, just can't wait till next year. It's great. Well, right, and that's and, – and going back to a lot of our, our bracket race, and I know you're a little bit comparing apples to oranges, but we have companies that, that are just out there participating – they may own their own companies or whatever, but they have such a good time, and it's the relationships that are built that they say we're we're in for next year. It doesn't matter. Money's not the object. We just want to be a part of this because this is so much fun. And even expanding back on on all the stuff that we're touching to on the starting line, we're in Pomona. I was getting ready to roll in the water box with the funny car. Security stopped my crew guys. My crew guys had to show the security their starting line passes. The crew guys. Right? I mean, well, it, it what sucks, man, the, is that used to be the play. Will not, that used to be the play. Start without Dude, if you could get yourself a crew shirt, it used to be you could pretty much do whatever you wanted. Like, that was the that was like the first secret code of an NHRA race is like, if you're there and you want to, like, bum around with a race team, get yourself a crew shirt and you can pretty and look serious and you could pretty much wear sunglasses, you know, walk fast. You could probably go wherever you want. Right. But right. now they won't even let the crew guys on the starting line. Well, yeah. But I mean, here, here's a here's a tip. We're screwed, bro. If a, you're if screwed. A guy... Murder Tundra. You may ne- you may as well. <laughs> if a... Murder Tundra's never been to an NHRA national event because he hears me say this stuff. I do. Last like, week, I tried no to get him way. to go to Vegas. I said, hey, man, really need you to go to Vegas, Murder Tundra. And he's like, oh, dude, I got like some family commitments. And I'm like, Vegas, uh, I got to like he's vacuum like, oh. my house and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't. You don't go. He's like, oh, man, I just really need to be present around the house. I'm like, what? What? But that's but that's what you come home telling these stories, and that's what happens, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, they say okay. So, the, so the, the starting line's too crowded, and that's that's one of the issues that they have. Which, okay, I can understand that. But they said that it takes away from the fan experience on the starting line that they can't see the cars, and it's not right for the sponsors because the sponsors don't get seen. Hmm. Now, I didn't exactly pass geometry or no angles or, or whatever. Yeah. But I do know that crew guys stand behind the car, and all the grandstands are down the racetrack. So Agreed. And I got to tell you that I I'm, would argue that I'm still, slight <laughs> bit of humanity, I think, adds to it. I, I literally – I've thought about this stuff more than I should. And I really think that those crew guys – well, I mean, and they're – okay, I'm going to – there's a couple of things I want to talk about. But the crew guys and the starter, I felt like this, this situation with um, – and I have no personal relationship with uh, Mike Gettings, that was the NHRA starter. You probably know him a million times better than I do. But when that position went away, 
I felt like it spoke to not understanding necessarily the role that he could and should play in the story that is being told out here on the drag strip. Like, you can look at the PBR. I mentioned the professional bull riders earlier. Do you know that, like, their rodeo clowns, right, are part of their show? They're all named. They wear their names on the back of their jerseys. They wear sponsored Dickie jerseys, right? And it says Frank on the shoulders of, of this, of this uh, rodeo clown that you know as well as I do. They could go to every town they go in and get some hillbilly redneck cowboys to come out there that were rodeo clowns and work that weekend for seven fifty an hour, right? Like, hey, yeah. go to the local beer, beer joint, and you could find four cowboys that go out there and be your rodeo clowns. But they understand the role they play in the story, and they've built those people up into celebrities. Those guys, and this isn't, it's not like they're all Conor McGregor or super electrifying person, you know, people. They have built them into stars by, ter- by putting, fa- you know, uh, putting names to the faces, telling people who these guys are and where they come from. And now Frank, the rodeo clown, he signs autographs. I would argue that that same situation should exist for the NHRA starter. That guy should be central to the storyline. I'd interview him every weekend. I would talk to him all the time. Talk to him oh, about, yeah. you know, what matchup do you hope to see this weekend? Or, you know, what 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 kind of challenges are you facing? It's hot out here this weekend, NHRA starter guy. I mean, we should be building him into a central figure in the story. I mean, the UFC... They do it with their refs and ring announcers. Michael Buffer, the but they UFC have their ring own, announcer. They have their own identity, yeah. They do. They have their own identity. I mean, Michael Buffer announces certain fighters differently than he announces other fighters, right? I mean, there could be a yep. certain thing where you zoom in, and it's well known that the NHRA starter goes way back with Sean, and he kind of gives a thumb up to his old buddy or whatever. I mean, obviously, maybe that's showing favoritism, but we all know that they flip a switch when the cars are pre-staged. It's not like he's up there counting to five, you know, but I'm just saying that some of that element of pageantry and putting on a little bit of a show and playing along when you just shit can that guy and immediately remove that, that, that role. I think it just, there's a storytelling component here that the starter, the people on the, on the, I mean, I think that we should focus in on these crew guys, like focus in on the severity of what they're doing, the looks on their faces. I would want as many people up there as I could. You know, within within the realms of reason, within the right. realm of reason, I'd want as many people up there because I want it to look like it takes an army to get this thing to move, right? I mean, I would make you as a driver, I, if I was the NHRA, you'd have to hook up a freaking oxygen mask. I'd be <laughs> plugging wires into your helmet to monitor brain waves. I would. I would just, even if none of it was necessary, I would do all that. Like, they would put you in the car and they'd be hooking up the EKG things on your chest, you know what I mean, hooking up the oxygen thing, because you need to, these are the most dangerous, quickest and fastest vehicles on the planet, we can't have you hop in it, you know what I mean, and be like, yeah. alright well, guys, it, let's it, go, you know, I mean, we and it was actually we funny put on a show. It, a, yeah, no, a couple years ago, we actually uh, hooked up a heart rate monitor, and it kind of showed you some stuff that, I mean, you, I've never, never in a million years would have thought that uh, it kind of showed that the, the two times that your heart rate is the most is right after the burnout and right after the run. I, you know, I, I, I guess I never really thought about it. I thought maybe 
maybe during the run or maybe just briefly before the run. But it, it showed like my heart rate, the two times that it spiked up was directly after the burnout and directly after the run. And then the, the lowest that it was, was um, right before we were getting to fire up and basically right before I hit the gas. So it's kind I mean, of funny dude, to be able to see those things. But I think there's a story to tell with all these kinds of Hell things. yeah, there is. Dude, my wife, Alicia, God bless her, she wears her Apple Watch. She can't wait to tell me what her heart rate was, right? I mean, just like yeah. – I walked around Walmart this afternoon. I got my heart rate up to 174 or whatever. Mm. I mean, if we can put this on tele, I mean, it could be a storyline that, like, man, Sean, J.R. Todd, his heart rate never changes. He goes up there, never changes. I mean, it's a storyline. It's just another arrow in the quiver, so to speak, of something to talk about. I, I There's just little – and all of that stuff is called showmanship. Literally, that's what it is. It's look. It's just selling. It's, it's sizzle. It's just a little bit of sizzle. And I don't – there's a lot of that stuff, and I and this is where I was going to spin this back towards something that we, we talked about with Lisa and just whether it's a sponsor. The thing that I think is missing right now, and I, I think that the whole deal can be boiled down to one three-letter word that is lacking. And I have found this in every walk of life. It's fun. People aren't having fun. That's a problem. And whether, no matter whether, and listen, you can race at a professional level and have fun doing it. You can compete and be dead serious yeah. and have win championships and everything else. But if you're not having fun in the process, and that to me, that's what I feel is lacking. And I don't know that it's a, I'm not sure that we need to get a, a clown necessarily or, or anything like that. But the, I really feel like these events, we've got to find a way to make them fun. It, it, just to make sure that in whether it's your sponsors need to be having fun, your fans need to be having fun, your competitors need to be having fun. Because admittedly, the NHRA has got a lot of people to make happy. This is hard, right? No oh, question. Yeah, yeah. But we've got to find a way to make sure that at the bare minimum, Sporty Bandemir tells me that his checklist for a, any event that they hold at Bandemir Speedway, the primary, like priority number one is did, did, did everybody have fun? Before profit, right? Before, you know, safety, starting line control, before schedule on time, you go, did everybody have fun? Because guess what? People become pretty forgiving about the schedule. People become pretty forgiving about, you know, getting thrown off the starting line or whatever if they're having fun from start to finish. And that's the thing that I'm Absolutely. going, we've got to have, like, I, if, if there's money to be spent, and they like to have fancy job titles, I would have a chief fun engineer or something. That sounds like Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I think, I think you, you, you know, there's a lot of times we go to the ropes and you, you talk to the fans. And obviously the fans have a, have a great time because the, the core part of the sport is the top fuel cars hitting the gas, feeling that, feeling the adrenaline, smelling the nitro. So that you have sold, right? But where is the, does the other fund come from? The midway's down. We need that to go back up. You know, a lot of times for uh, the, the team owners, I mean, a lot of the team owners are, are under budgeted right now. So their stress level, how are we going to make this work? Where do we got to cut our corners in order to make things work? Well, you can't go get sponsors unless if you're paying people to do social media or you're promoting the sponsors. Or, so you got to spend more money there. But I think a lot of the drivers is kind of in the same position. You know, we're pretty stagnant as a driver. Yes, you're very fortunate to have a job 
and you know we get paid okay money but how do we take it to the next level as far as making more money and creating more opportunities i mean if i was in a position to create more opportunities and more jobs for other people i would but i'm not i would be able to try to find a way to have like a starter program to where you 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 have in a sense like maybe in the xfinity series what they do to nascar i'd start up my own team i'd hire people give them more jobs i mean you put together an a fuel operation you put I mean, heck, a guy like Matt Sackman who licensed in a top fuel car the other day. But you put, you know, this kid's the next up-and-coming driver. You put him full-time in a car. You you grab all these kids out of, uh, you know, Western Tech or all these different schools. That's how they learn to work on these cars is, th- is through this this program. And then they can eventually move up into the top fuel ranks. But you got to kind of start somewhere. And I think there's just so much, like you said, it's just a weird state right now where there's so much – pressure coming from every angle because nhra is claiming they have no money the team owners are claiming they have no money the 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 crew guys and and the drivers and you know everybody kind of feels like they're at a stagnant spot right now where they can't grow or progress where they're at because the the tier right above them hasn't grown or progressed in in quite a while so it's where does this go and you know it's a lot of times like I said, the fans have fun. There is no question about that. When the fans come out to the race, the dude, our I have product never heard is good. Person, our product it, is good. I look at like it's Formula as good as one. anything out there. Yeah, agreed. And that's the thing is, I like I look at Formula One. Like they know who's gonna win. Like within, unless somebody wrecks, it's gonna be Ferrari or Mercedes. I mean, it, the same teams win all the time. Um, so you can't you can't make that argument. I mean, there's. You know, there's plenty of sports that are short, like PBR. Again, man, the the longest a ride can last is eight seconds, right? That's the goal is eight seconds. So you can't tell me that our short that our sport is too short to to capture anybody's attention. I mean, I I just think that our on track product is is good. It's really good. Where it lacks Look at is the show they put on though. You know, like oh yeah, that's the thing is know, I mean, that they focus as much on the off track thing. Like, you go to one of those events, and it's freaking cannons yeah. and fireworks and loud music. There's this festival vibe. Red Bull, all of their events, it's like going to Coachella, right? And I just think oh, yeah. that, yeah. that that's something that we miss. You know what I mean? Like, we're but – that but this is the way we've always done it, right? Our TV show, I think, looks like – I mean, if you watch – God bless – I listen, everybody that's involved, I'm proud of them. It's a fantastic thing. But I don't know that our show is like decidedly different from what it was decades ago. You know what I mean? It's still very much event coverage type of thing. And I do think that we need some we need some complimentary content that is introducing people to these to these racers, introducing people to these crew guys and crew chiefs and just the different cast of oh, characters that exist at the racetrack because I don't know, it was interesting. I was driving out of Vegas or I was leaving the racetrack. Um, well, driving to the racetrack on Sunday morning, it was I was going out there early, um, and I passed a, a billboard, and it was a funny car with the header flames, and it said 4X, right? Like, so four wide, funny cars, whatever. On the way back to the hotel after the race, I'm driving along, and I see a UFC billboard for a fight coming up April 15th next weekend or something, right? Or this weekend, I guess. Um, and it shows two human faces. And I thought... Max Holloway and Dustin the Diamond Poirier. And I just thought to myself. But the difference, you know the name. I do. And I'm just, but, yeah. but they have made it, because they could just have easily put on that billboard someone getting hit in the face 
and slobber flying everywhere, their version of header flames, right, or right. whatever their yeah. mouth be. They could have just as easily put that on the billboard, right? But they have made a – they are dedicated to star building, right? Like they are trying to sell personalities. And I'm a hardcore fight fan, so I know who those guys are, but I would argue that most people driving down the freeway don't know who Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier are. But they put them on the billboard anyway. You know what I'm saying? They're committed – to that model. They didn't go, you know what? These guys aren't Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, so let's put a big glove, you know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. or, or a championship belt on the on the billboard. You know what I mean? No. Right. I said our pathway is to build stars. And I mean, and I think once you do that, I mean, I think that there are a group of people, and this is something we have to consider, there are a group of people that would have came out to the drag strip this weekend to watch John Force do anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, we yeah, literally, he, he I has guarantee you. But yeah. that is a, that's a, that's the, that's what we have to create, right? You have to, those are the guys that help you grow. Like, there, we could, you can bring LeBron James out somewhere and people aren't, they don't care if he's going to dribble a basketball or do a dunk or not. They just want to see him, right? And yeah, they, they just want to get that picture. They just want to get that picture or whatever. So we could have brought John Force out this weekend. And had him literally do donuts in a in a, a streetcar, and I think everybody'd have been pretty satisfied. You know what I mean? Like I don't think they need to see him go four rounds and set a world record. They just want to go see John Force, and we've kind of got to be going. Okay, yeah. we've got to create stars so that people are going to come out to the the speedway to watch Sean. L- it's great that we're going to get to see Sean Langdon race a funny car, but we want to see Sean Langdon breathe, right? I mean, we just want to see yeah. him. You know, and that's, I think, it's because we're so hyper-focused on the spectacle. I've said this a bazillion times right here on the internet, on the pages of Drag Illustrated, that the cars, the, the loud cars, the 300 miles per hour, the thrill, the smell of nitro, those things will, and it is proven, will bring people out. But what will bring people back are the people. You have to create a connection to someone. You have to, you have to sell them on somebody. If you can create an emotional connection between, you know, Joe Fan and Sean Langdon or Angie Smith or whatever, if they, if you can find a way to get those people to connect on some level, that's what's going to bring someone back. Because, I mean, because you're putting so much emphasis on your on-track product that if you have a crappy weekend, you put a bet, you know, the car, the track's not great or it's nobody setting records or whatever, that's what it becomes all about. I mean, you... The people are what bring people back, man. And that means NASCAR's decline, I believe, is directly connected to their lack of relatable stars right now. They don't have any of these big personalities. They don't have any of these legendary kind of racing tradition family guys or whatever, these badass outlaws, you know, do-it-yourselfers. They don't have any of those guys right now. And the, the, the fan interest is waning because of it. Well, and, and I think that, again, going back to kind of the fragile state is, you know, as much as sanctioning bodies will, will go and talk to the drivers and say, hey, look, we, we want you guys to show your personalities and we want you guys to do this and do that. There's still that little bit of state of you go out and do that of, whoa, 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 don't say that or don't do that because that's going to look bad for us. That's going to look bad for your sponsor. So you you. you you have to really walk that fine line. It's how, how much, I mean, you look at back in the day, you know, 
the Dale Earnhardt's and, and, uh, you know, all those guys, they weren't afraid to say whatever they wanted, you know, in our sport, the Warren Johnson's, they, they will say exactly how it is. And people respected that, but you don't get that too much. I mean, very few in this day and age, will you see big personalities like that? I mean, you'll see somebody like a Conor McGregor come through the UFC and make a big splash, but he, he catches a lot of flags solely sponsor dependent for your career you really do have to watch a lot of things that you say because the there's 10 people online waiting to get your job. So do you go out, do you get out of your race car and do you thank your sponsors or do you get out of your race car and go on a rant and talk and, and show your personality, whether it's a good rant or bad rant or against whoever or the driver, what way do you want to go? And I think there's everybody's still trying to find that niche because the personality is going to draw a lot more interest. Prime example is what's going on in the pro stock motorcycle stuff with people are saying exactly how they want to say it. So it's drawn a lot of interest, but you start going off on all those rants all the time. Your sponsor says, Hey, where are my mentions? You don't get those mentions in sponsors. Aren't going to be happy. And we're, we're solely sponsor dependent. And in this day and age budgets versus sponsor, what you're getting, it's, it's very, 50 50 to where you're if you can get a full budget in this day and age it, it's very very difficult to do it i i get it you know and i know that it's a fine line and i don't think everybody can go out there and just bounce their helmet off the windshield you know of of their competitor's car or whatever i think i do think right that a guy has to be willing to tow right up to that line and i would also argue that more people care about conor mcgregor's sponsors because in the people that are associated with him, and he moves the needle more for those brands by being a polarizing figure than all the octagon mentions in the world. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that you earn brand equity, you build brand equity or whatever by building this personality where, like, if I fall, if Sean Langdon is this perpetually outspoken guy that always wears his heart on his shirt sleeve, says what he thinks, whatever. And then, you know, goes out and is a fierce competitor, you know, and, and maybe sometimes, you know, talks out of turn or, like I said, launches a helmet or whatever, shows some emotion, shows some passion, you know, that I'm going to be far more inclined to support whoever supports you than if you just say their name fast every weekend for the rest of the year. You know what I mean? So I, I do think that there's a little bit of – Yeah, I think yeah. You can, cause, and I think that that's the thing is it's like we don't have to – we don't have to just – go MF everybody every weekend, but we also need to, I think that I sometimes see guys where it just seems like it doesn't matter. And all I want them to do is act like it matters. You know what I mean? I need the drivers to show me that it matters. Show, and not me. I know they care, but the, the masses need to see that you care and that you can't get out of the car oh, yeah. and be like, shucks next time. You know, <laughs> you know, it know doesn't I mean? it doesn't do anybody any good. No. Absolutely. And I, I think that there's 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 a lot with the programming where, you know, they're still trying to find their niche as far as what directions to go, because, you know, er, they got all four classes hooting and hollering and saying, hey, we need more coverage. You need to show us more. And there's only so many hours in, in coverage. But I definitely do agree, man, you're going to get so much more emotion out of somebody that just lost. Versus somebody that just won. The guy that, that won, you're just going to you're gonna get, here's my five sponsors. Yeah, I made a great run. Hopefully we can go 
couple more rounds today. I mean, that's your that's your go to. You need to get away from that though. I and agree. It, and it's hard you to know? because and, the one or two times that you do, the sponsor says, "Hey, where's where's my name at, man?" And, and I get it. I mean, they're paying big money, so I think it's you know what what our sport really needs to do is they we really need to do more of a service for guys like what you're doing with your show with what you're doing with coming to the races of of doing these short little documentaries or these short little pieces that that we're able to utilize where you you really are showing the driver's personality outside of the race car outside of you know got their zipper all zipped up and and all that you you can actually see what these guys are about you know kind of the background story where they came from you know is this guy just is he a a guy for TV that's just going to say what he's got to say or did he really say what he meant you know and i think that there's so much there's so much more to all of this than just what gets showed well, for the five seconds on what's TV. To, like if we knew that if we had programs for sponsors that ensured X amount of visibility, you know, you were going to get it because there's so many layers to it. And I've, you know, I had, uh, well, and I was going to kind of go into a little fast moving segment here and, and wrap it up. But I will say that I think if we had like a little, more of a turnkey program where if somebody comes into the sport and they're going to they're going to become a sponsor, right? We if we had like hey, you're going to get this amount of expert, of hospitality because the thing that I see happens is that these sponsors, they're kind of nickel and dimed. You know, they're they're uh, they're brought in, right? And then they pay X amount of money f- to be there, but then they are tasked with spending even more money to activate activate the sponsorship. They've got to buy tickets, they've got to do this, they've got to pay for catering, they've got to buy a tent. They've got to get a fire marshal or whatever's approval to, to do whatever they're trying to do. And it's like if we had turnkey yeah. programs, just like way you and I, we, we scroll through the classifieds looking for turnkey race cars, right? We're going to try yeah. to buy something. You know, the guys that got the money, they want to buy something that's ready to go race, right? They, think, they want this thing wired. They want it to have a race pack. They want it to have – you know what I mean? They, they want it to be ready to go race this weekend, Um and that's what I think that these sponsors are. They want to buy a turnkey package. So, hey, I'll write you a big check, but I need it, – it needs to include this many tickets, this much hospitality space, this much, you know, a suite in the tower. It needs to include all these different functionalities so that the onus isn't entirely on freaking Sean Langdon to make sure the CEO feels good about this. But that's the situation that exists right now. The onus is entirely on – you in that eight seconds to make sure you name drop everybody because that's pretty yeah. much the only component that exists to create the aforementioned feel good that is so important when you're spending money well yeah i mean it, and, it, and it makes it tough i mean you know we we show up to a racetrack you you want hospitality you pay for it you want to sell your t-shirts you got to pay for it you want to serve food to your sponsors you got to pay for it you want to get i mean you know we used to do a lot of media stuff uh a lot of things where drivers would go out, you know, they, they really started kind of cutting back tickets on us. A lot of times we'd give tickets away, bring in more fans or bring in family or, you know, allow crew guys uh, to bring in, they, they, you know, their families or whatever. So, you know, we, we, a lot of that gets kind of cut out too. I mean, like I said, you kind of start cutting from the bottom. It, it's going to work its way to the top eventually. I mean, I know, you know, uh, I mean, the, the, the top side of the NHRA, they, they definitely did their, you know, did their part i mean they, you got you got million dollar man making his million dollars on the top and then it's just kind of everything else kind of trickles down where it's you know everybody else is kind of filling the gaps 
And yeah. right now there's, there's some, there's some big gaps to fill, you know, and we're, we're very fortunate to have a lot of the companies that are, that are involved. I mean, a lot of these companies that, that have stuck by our sides for, for all these years, uh, you know, there's, there's some hardcore companies that are involved in it. And there's some more companies that want to get involved in it, but it's just a matter of making sense. But like you said, it's, it's getting the fun factor back in it where not everybody's stressed to the max walking through the, the ropes and, and, and walking or, you know, driving through the gate, you know, you gotta, you gotta show up to these races and you gotta have fun, which, which we do, but then it's, it's making all the numbers make sense. You know, it's, it's hard to uh, sometimes make, make things make sense when you got a three and a half million dollar budget and you race for $50,000. I agree, man. I agree. Well, let's do a little rapid fire thing here to wrap this thing up. One of the best things that happened, I think obviously it was fantastic to see J.R. Todd win, but the sport of drag racing yeah. benefited tremendously by Mike Salinas winning. Um, here's a guy who's made a yeah. huge investment in the sport of drag racing, r- really doing something significant. I mean, I'm sure you felt the same way I think everybody did, is that we need guys like that to have some success. And I was super-duper happy for him to win. I'm sure you felt the same way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I look at you know what Mike's done these last couple of years and the investment that he's made. He, he came in. You, I mean, obviously, he was noticed right out of the gate by his rig. If anybody's ever walked by his pit, I mean, you, you see how spotless these things are and, and the different rig that he has. But um, it, it's cool to see the transition that he's done. You know, you, you watch a lot of his runs that he made last year, and, and he was all over the place and, and, and making some runs that he had to abort. But then you watch him transition to working with Alan Johnson, and you see, you can see that Alan's working with him. And, and I know that firsthand because well, I was, I was, gonna ask. I was in this. I was in the same boat that, that he was in, you know, I, 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 what's that experience like, man? I mean, that's on my board here, like working with AJ, you want a a top fuel championship under him. And you're exactly right. We've seen, I mean, Mike, Mike left first multiple times this weekend. He looks good out there. He's changed. What, what is that experience like having someone and maybe give us some insights into what are the things that AJ's in your ear about, or what's important to a guy like Alan Johnson, who's done more winning out here than anybody on the planet. Well, it's, it's very intimidating and comforting. If you can imagine putting those two things together, uh, working with Alan, I mean, his credentials speak for itself. He's, he's the best there is out there. So you go to Alan and, and I still remember the second race that I ever raced with him. I got in a pedal fest and I had this car completely sideways and uh, I believe maybe it was Mark Rebellis that got the photo. I had the car completely sideways out in the marbles. Car was completely one side, throttle blades half open. And I remember I lost the round and I come back and, and AJ was just mad. I mean, red in the face mad. And he said, if you ever drive my car like that, that will be the last time. And he had talked to me about, you know, have you ever been properly taught how to pedal a car? And it was like, no, not necessarily. I mean, I've, you know, had some little things, but... I, I, I just kind of took it for what it was. I mean, the car smokes tires and you kind of pedal it. Well, he goes into this thorough, complete uh, deal about breaking down a whole run and what everything means and what the feels is going to be as a driver. And um, I mean, really helped take my driving to the next level. And I know I can see it in, in Mike's driving. I can see it in his reaction times uh, that he's starting to get a little bit more consistent in his reaction times. Uh, I can see it in his driving. He's starting to drive the car a lot better. Um, and you know AJ is going to have a fast race car. I mean, AJ AJ will right. not settle for not having a fast race car. So you can definitely see in, in the, the driving and then the success. And then also, you know, with Brian Hughes in there, Brian, Brian's an excellent 
um, go-to guy as well as far as for, you know, immediate run feedback as far as what happened, you kind of what you felt, you know, he goes through the race pack with you and you guys discuss it. So there's so many things. I mean, if you really, when you get involved with that group, if you really just keep your mouth shut and keep your ears open, you will learn more. I, I mean, I, I, the stuff that I'm, I learned there, I'm still carrying into today with also learning. I mean, you know, having, you know, Nick Bon and Fani and Del Worsham with the funny car, you know, obviously that's a been a different transition for Absolutely. me. Um, so it's been a, a whole new learning curve, but I'm kind of back in that same boat where it's like you come back from a run, tell them what you think, and then you just kind of shut your mouth and keep your ears open and, and you just let the information soak in as much as you can. It, I can only imagine, man. And because with AJ, from what you and I have talked about sometimes before, like it's, I mean, it's everything from when you get the shoots out to, I mean, I mean, it starts behind the water and beyond the finish line, what he expects of his drivers, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, AJ is one of those guys. Um, and that's where kind of the little bit of intimidating thing comes in is he demands perfection, but you know what? He's, he's going to, he's going to pay you right. And he's going to give you a race car and he just, he expects you to be top, top notch all the time. And if you make a mistake, you're going to go to the principal's office and you're going to hear about it. But after, after you get your ass chewing, he will sit down and he will explain it to you. And he will go through it to where when you leave the principal's office, you're going to completely understand why you messed up, how you messed up, how you're going to be better and all the different ways of fixing it. So, you know, there's, it's, it's always bad to make a mistake, but in the, in the event of working with a guy like that, you learn so much from your mistakes. And I think that that's one common thing that I see with a lot of people out here is a lot of, a lot of drivers, you know, they'll make mistakes and I'll get out of the car and, ah, well, you know, this malfunction on the car, or my brake messed up or my brake handle or this or that. And it's like, you don't really, see a lot of drivers taking taking the initiative just saying hey man i just messed up but you can spot those drivers out immediately as soon as you know the drivers that typically fess up are typically the drivers that are going to make the least amount of mistakes because they've already made the mistake they owned up to it they learned from it and they've moved on and and they've become a better driver from it well it's it's been i was so happy for mike and his whole family and i know that and can you touch briefly and i know we're going to run out of time here but just about like that getting that monkey off of his back. I mean, that's a real thing, right? I mean, you get that that yeah. pressure to finally do it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see them win a bunch of these things. I mean, or maybe win oh, yeah. Houston. I mean, you, you is that what's that feeling like when you finally get that monkey off your back? It, you know, I went three years with the Lucas team. I, I'm trying to think. I'm. Um, I had a uh, five, six, seven final rounds, maybe maybe more uh with with that group and was never able to get the win and then when i went into aj's deal and charlotte too uh was my first victory and it's it's crazy just how quick it happens and then you get out of the car and you just kind of have that holy shit i did it feeling but you get immediately rushed to do tv and then you go to do the media center and then you go and do the winner circle and then you go back to the pit and you're you know, you know, kind of experiencing it with your crew guys and, and you're talking about everything. And, and then it's like the next day you wake up and you're immediately doing interviews again. And, and then it's just the ensuing couple days is when it kind of sinks in of like, Oh wow. That, yeah, that did happen. 
So it it takes a little bit of time to to sink in, but it's definitely um, a feeling that once you get that monkey off your back, it's just like, okay, now I know what it's like. Now the pressure's off because there, I don't care if you haven't won and you go to a final round, it goes into your head of, man, I don't want to mess this up. Man, I don't want to make a mistake. I want this to be my first win so bad. And as soon as you start thinking those things, it, it, it takes you away from what you should be thinking, and that's doing your job. So once you get the monkey off your back and you've experienced it, you've done it and gone through it, then all those thoughts go out of your head. Now you just go back to doing your job, doing what you know how to do, and typically you'll, you'll start seeing the mistakes turn down a little bit. Well, it's I'm again. I'm I'm glad to see those guys break through. I think that you know at a time yeah. when, you know yeah. car counts are an issue and we need people out here. We need new fresh faces investing. You know, I mean, because it, it affects the sport on a lot of levels, right? I mean, whether I mean crew guys need jobs. You know, the, there are plenty of people out here that that are looking for work or whatever. And it's you know we need guys like Mike to come out and experience some success. Because I mean, hell, I mean that that may keep him going for five years. You know what I mean? Like that. Oh, the, I, I guarantee you that hook is in deep on Mike yeah. Salinas right now. Yeah. He's yeah. he is well invested. But yeah, I mean, you, you look at what Mike's done. He's come back and he's assembled a great team uh, starting at the top with Alan and with, with Brian and um, with that whole group. I mean, they got a great group together. And but but you look at what he's invested in the sport, starting to bring his daughters into it. So you have the next wave coming through. Um, in, in multiple different classes, top alcohol dragster and pro stock motorcycle. Um, but the investment that he's making, I mean, it, that's, that's another classic case of like, you have to, I mean, this is his own company. So, right. but you, you know, we as a group need to make sure that a guy like this stays invested in this, in this sport, he's having we a ball. Need to make sure like, guys like this. Exactly. So, but you, you look at what he's done. Yeah. He's having fun. Exactly. We and sure. and he's brought a guy like, like AJ, AJ, you know, you give AJ a job. I mean, AJ was, you know, I think that regardless of the situation, um, you know, he was probably departing from force anyways at the end of last year. And then um, that's when Mike Salinas stepped up to bring him on. So it's, it's great because who knows where AJ's situation would be if it wasn't for Mike Salinas, you know, who knows, who knows. And, and um, you know, you definitely can't have legends of the sport, not be in the sport because that's important. It is, man. It is. Well, hey, dude, thank you so much for taking the time. We were we went all over the map today, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> I want to close, man. I'm really glad to, to, to see your pops doing well. I know that's, I'm sure, been a uh, – I can't even – that's a stressful situation. Things looking up, I suppose? Yeah, man. He, uh, he, he got out um, last Sunday. He was released from the hospital. So he went in a week before um, he had liver cancer, got the liver transplant, uh, was at Duke, Duke did a, an absolute phenomenal job. The, the whole staff there, they made it an easy process, took a 10 to 12 hour surgery, made it into a six hour surgery, wow. got him out of there within a week. So he'll still be out there for the next couple months. Obviously they're going to be checking up on him, but uh, yeah, I mean, pretty crazy experience. I mean, very, very thankful that uh, the, the great people at Duke were able to take great care of him and as well as, you know, his wife, Sherry and Sally Martini. She's uh she does all the NHRA parking. So, sure the next couple races nhra's parking might might be a little bit of a cluster but that's just because sherry's or i'm sorry sally sally and sherry are taking care of my dad but she'll be back out in probably in the next couple months so uh oh, good deal man. but yeah he'll he'll be out there hope i know he's already looking at at buying new race cars and new trailers and all that i don't i don't Perfect. know if it's all the drugs that he's on trying to get better <laughs> but they gave him hope so he's he's already back at it 
Oh, well, good deal, man. We're, we're, we're very glad to hear that, man. And I appreciate you again spending the, your whole freaking Wednesday afternoon on the phone with me. And uh, thank you again, dude. I'm looking forward to seeing you this weekend in Houston. It's going to be a little different down there. No pro stock. No, uh, I don't know. I don't think any pro stock motorcycle. So this is going to be probably one of our first races where we see, you know, the fuel classes really have to carry the show. I know they're glad to have the Mountain Motor Pro Stocks down there. They're also going to have a big pro mod show as well. But it, this is going to be one yeah. of our first kind of, an, an, it's going to be an interesting weekend for sure. A little different look at the NHRA, man. Yeah, it, it, uh, it should be interesting for sure. I know they put some asphalt down from 660 to 1,000 feet. Um, so I guess we'll see how it goes. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, it'll be a great show. You know Pro Mod's going to put on a great show. Pro Mod's awesome. So. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, it'll be I'll, interesting I'll be no matter tomorrow. what. That Yeah, it'll be an interesting deal. So thanks again, Sean. I appreciate you, man. If you need anything, let you know, and I'll see you in a couple days, okay? Yeah, guys, all right. Appreciate, appreciate you having me on. No problem, brother. Talk soon. See ya. Peace. Oh, my goodness, guys. What a deal. Well, I hope you guys had as much fun with this whole deal as we did. Um, We'll be rotating in and out of this deal where sometimes we'll be doing like singular long form interviews. Other times we'll be doing like um, more of our news type show. We'll just bounce around. We want to introduce this format like during a well-known time slot, make sure that people saw what we were trying to do. And just I like talking to racers and not having to like be married to what happened last weekend. Right. Or what's going on next weekend. It's just there's there's always races going on. There's always stuff going on. But I like the opportunity to just talk to racers, have fun conversations, bounce all over the place, um, pick their brain a little bit, learn a little bit. Um, and I think we accomplished all those things here today. So I appreciate all of you joining us. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'll see you the next time around here. So I did uh, bump into a bunch of regular listeners and viewers in in Las Vegas. Thank you guys all so much. I'm looking forward to seeing a whole bunch more of you this weekend at the um, the NHRA National Event, the Spring Nationals down in Houston, Texas, at uh, Pennzoil Raceway Park. Um, freshly painted yellow and black, which is very exciting. I like those colors a lot. My Corvette's yellow. I like that. Um, but, yeah, man, it's going to be fun. There's tons of racing going on. They're already racing right now at the Outlaw Street Car Reunion in Beach Bend down in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Tyler Crossnow's been sh- big shindig down there. I'm sure we're going to see some – very impressive. There's going to be a ton of eyes on the scoreboards in 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 Kentucky, as far as I'm concerned. I think there's going to be a whole lot of people paying attention to what those cars are running. Um, going to be some great racing. The Midwest Pro Stock, or excuse me, Midwest Pro Mod Association is going to be down there. Keith Haney's traveling Pro Mod band. They'll be down there. I'm told 40 plus cars deep. Of course, we've got Woostock going on at the legendary Darlington Dragway. Keith Barry and Lance Stanford's big production out there on the East Coast. A lot of whole whole lot of drag racing going on this weekend, man. Um, we've uh, we got people all over creation this weekend. This is probably one of the more happening weekends that our sport has to offer. Like if there was a, I mean, I can't. There can't be a PDRA race because the the PDRA will be well represented there in in uh, in in Kentucky, but. There's a lot of stuff going on, man. There's a lot of drag racing going on right now. And it is. And I think that I hope it, at the at the root level, I hope people understand that I truly believe in my heart of hearts that this is the greatest time, whether you're a racer, a race fan, a member of our industry, wherever you fall in this puzzle right now, this is a fantastic time to be involved with the sport of drag racing, whether it's radial racing, whether it's Nostalgia Nitro, whether it's you know the NHRA Big Show, whether it's... Pro Mod Series, Streetcar Series, everything in between. This is a fantastic time to be involved with the sport of drag racing. It really is. Um, 
I think we are truly living in the good old days right now. Oh, and shout out to all of our winners, uh, everybody that that had a big successful weekend this past weekend at the PDRA season opener at Galat Motorsports Park. Um, looked fantastic. A uh, lot of big performances out of those nitrous cars. Tons of storylines there that maybe we'll dabble in tomorrow. I think we may we maybe do a little little wrap up tomorrow here on the internet. But thank you guys so much for joining us, and uh, we will we will all talk soon. Appreciate it. Thank you.